0: 23,
2: he's across the 40. open up the history books, here comes Rondé. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun devil have? we got to consider that.
1: It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 somehow, and we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaborski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Road to Wire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 25th, heading into week five of the college football season. Nick Whalen back with John McKechnie. Uh, What a weekend it was for us, John. You know, we're a few days removed now with it being Wednesday as as we start to look ahead. But an impressive win for Wisconsin at home against Michigan, uh, arguably an even more impressive win for your Georgia Bulldogs at home against Notre Dame Uh, I was out of town this weekend unfortunately we haven't been able to watch any of these big games together uh, yet this season but how was your weekend what did you end up doing for the Georgia game how did you celebrate Uh, how did everything go for you yeah it was was an interesting day
2: and obviously like on my way into work on Saturday morning I came down Regent Street which is obviously the street uh, on where uh, Camp Randall is so uh, mundane of streets it it truly is a real hoss Um, so that it was like fun to like get a, a taste of the Wisconsin atmosphere and in Wisconsin obviously delivered I was you know just in my cubicle working for most of the day but once uh you know once the clock struck six o'clock central time I uh scooted over to a local uh, watering hole i uh, met up with a couple of friends of mine who were there for moral support which watering hole uh the nomad the the nomad. new the uh, new nomad oh
1: uh, it's open already the it is oh, and hell it's three,
2: yeah. three stories it was like pretty packed it, a lot Absolutely. of stuff to do in there uh, i think Great. there's ski ball in there which is pretty cool to have
1: there's ski ball yeah no
2: yeah so oh. on the second floor uh so shout out nomad <laughs> if they if they want to sponsor the pod but um fun environment a lot of a lot of tv so i was able to to watch it but there're enough TVs and like enough space to where like i could kind of be myself and not have to be totally subdued um, so you know just kind of gritted through that game it wasn't the prettiest game i think georgia played really tight um, for a lot of that one but you know they're able to pull it off in the end and, and get that win uh, Lawrence Cage earned his pinstripes his his dog pinstripes or however you want to say it so that dog stripes do, uh dog bones like uh the old Muhammad Masequois back of the helmet yeah
1: do they do that anymore pride stickers not anymore it's Ohio State the only one who's still hanging on to that
2: seems to be I, I think they need to keep it yeah keep that just so moms can be like why are they have the pot leaves on their right on their helmets but uh yeah as far as the Georgia game goes Uh, On the other side of that, Cole Komet kind of looked like late-stage... Gronk a little bit like he had the size and like sheer dominance when the ball was in the air as Gronk but the same sort of like it does this guy like is he the son of the tin man in terms of his like bend and overall mobility but he was still he was still like a, tr- a problem out there is like unleashing an orc onto the field or something so cool commit uh we'll get to him a little bit in the DFS section but interesting guy from from Notre Dame
1: not a lot of players you see who begin their last name with KM no yeah literally commit like phonetically kmet nine catches 108 yards and a touchdown um yeah like you said kind of carving up that georgia defense i as i laid out on the pod last week was in a bit of a bind i had a a wedding that i I didn't know the bride or the groom or really anybody else there besides my girlfriend and her family so i was it was a position in which i was not able to you know, have a lot of sway in terms of, like, when can we leave? Can we get these nine TVs that are here, none of which were turned on at all? Can we get one of them on? Clearly, you know, we'd be able to find this game. I would make sure of that. Um, But I was able to kind of catch glimpses every now and then. You know, I, I drank a lot of water, so I had an excuse to go to the bathroom, like, every 10 minutes just oh, to check nice. the score. Um, and I was able to get finally get a stream up to see that final <laughs> Notre Dame drive, which nothing against Georgia, but I was rooting for Notre Dame uh just to at least – you know, get a little bit closer than they did. I think they got to about the 40 um, and then ended up giving it up on downs and, and kind of a, a heave play at the end. So I did get to see that. But, um, you know, from what I saw, I went back, watched the detailed highlights, read up on it closer than I expected. I mean, Notre Dame's a good team. Uh, we've seen them kind of fall short in these type of games before. But, you know, it makes you wonder if this game had been played in South Bend, or even at a neutral site, you know, maybe you see a different result. But nonetheless, a, a great win for Georgia.
2: Yeah, it was de- it was definitely a win I'll take. I, again, I don't feel like it was the 100 percent range of outcomes for Georgia. I felt yep. like again they they kind of clammed up, and I, th- I really do feel like I was surprised by the amount of disrespect coming from the Georgia fans towards Notre. Towards this Notre Dame team like they just assumed that Georgia was going to do what Clemson did to them in the playoff last year it's like well we haven't really done that to anybody yeah. in a really long time so uh, how can you go ahead and expect that against a quality Notre Dame opponent so Notre Dame brought it um, good story from, from the tailgate so uh, some of my friends are Notre Dame uh, fans and some of them have family that, that are Notre Dame people so they came down uh, to Georgia apparently uh, my good buddy's older brother who's older than us was kind of trying to hang with everybody at the tailgate, you know, trying to really keep pace. Yeah. Um, obviously as we talked D- it's about, dangerous. Uh $600 get in for the, uh, you know, for the, for the game last weekend, apparently he was calling an Uber back to Atlanta at kickoff. So, oh. so the paying for he had it, tickets to the game, I believe as that's oh, my understanding. No. It got the tickets, uh, got into the game and was immediately decided that was not uh, going to be worth it. So he, so an Uber back to Atlanta from Athens is also not cheap, especially on game day. So, um, I, I mean, that's, that's the that's least of your concerns that's at that
1: point is the cost of the Uber, right? I mean, having, so this guy had tickets to the game, which he presumably played a, paid a pretty penny for mm-hmm. and just didn't go to the game. That's my understanding. Did he wake up in a panic, like at halftime realizing what he'd done? I
2: think that, I think this guy knew what he was doing and he just let it, let it get out of control for yeah. him. So, um, yeah let let that be a cautionary tale
1: what were your thoughts on notre dame fans um taking out a full page ad in in like the local athens paper i think it was either today or yesterday thanking georgia and and the city you know for their great hospitality was that was that like a genuine move or do you think that was there was some sarcasm underneath i
2: think that was a that's a very notre dame move to yeah um but i you know, after the game two years ago, the, the South Bend Tribune ran that front page thing just basically shaming all the Notre Dame fans for letting Georgia take over their stadium. So I think uh, they, they might have been expecting a little bit more of a bristly crowd from from the Athens natives, but it seemed mm-hmm. like it was a pretty, you know, uh, copacetic environment for for all involved. So, I mean, that, that is a nice gesture from Notre It's a very Notre Dame
1: gesture, if yeah. nothing else. But I, I don't think it was like a troll move or anything um i forgot to mention at the, at the wedding i was attending there was a man in an eric Thames brewer's jersey okay which he wore to the wedding to the reception that was pretty Beautiful awesome serum. obviously was wearing khaki shorts with it as well i think if you're gonna wear something like that to a wedding those just come as a package deal like you never see someone who's like he was wearing these awesome you know great shoes these really nice fitting suit pants <laughs> and then an eric Thames jersey it's like no it's an entire look from top to bottom uh so that was really cool i was unable to get a photo as my phone was dead at that point did he have the tattoos um, no, he didn't. Okay. He did not. He was a man in his fifties. May have been at the Brewers game prior to the wedding. Was going after. I'm not really sure. Those were kind of at conflicting times. Uh, what, were, what were your thoughts on? We can, we can talk about the Wisconsin game in a bit, but the the striped red and white out that they did, I I expressed my doubts to to many people before the game. Uh, I was thinking like if if back in like 2011 someone was like, hey, here's the color you need to wear to the game. I don't think me and my friends would have been like, hey, guys, we need to do this. Yeah, like it would have uh, been like, I'm wearing out. what I'm wearing, man. <laughs> yeah. And if you look closely, that's kind of what it was. But it, it did seem like they had... All you really need is like 70-30 of yes. one color, and it looks like everybody's wearing it. When if you look closely, that's not the case. But I was I was pretty impressed that they were that they were able to to kind of finagle everybody in the right positions and get that out there because they didn't really publicize it all that much. Um, And, and I did like that they... You know, I, I think Wisconsin football like, tweeted it out. Like, here's the map of what to do. Student section was just all white. They're like, we we can't count on you guys to alternate. Part of that is because you've have you been to the student section? I uh, not to the
2: student section, though.
1: No. I don't know how it is at Georgia, but they don't assign seats. It's just first come, first serve, and you sit wherever you want. Okay. Um. But anyway, I thought it was a cool look. Uh, I, th- I I, I kind of have to great pro on here. I didn't think it would work out, uh, and it looked great. Yeah, it, it really did look good,
2: and I think it allowed also to like maximize the the good crowd shots of the Michigan yes. fans getting you know completely <laughs> surrounded and just it made it by. easier to find them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's like there's just a trove of like sad Michigan. I mean. Sad Michigan fan is like one of my favorite yeah. genres and I'm not even like a Michigan hater right. necessarily but there's something about like the you're really you're like too smart to be this dumb about football yep. and now you're really really upset about it you're and wearing a it, Tom Brady jersey yeah, yeah and now there's a bunch of drunk Wisconsin people just yelling yep. at you so it was honestly
1: sorry. a little exhausting catching up with all the sad Michigan fan memes like yeah. after the game yeah you know, there's the usually a game like this will produce like one that's pretty memorable and has some legs for a couple days like there were like four Or five that would are like all time already college football (laughs) fan memes, Uh, but before we recap week four, uh, I want to talk to Eric King. This is a really strange situation for a number of reasons. Um, I I was listening to I I think the the ESPN pod last night, and they were kind of bringing up the question of is this kind of the first step of college football player empowerment? And of course, in the past, we've had the push for benefits pay things like that you know which i I think is kind of a separate discussion but in terms of just player movement you know the grad transfer has has had such a large effect these last four or five years and this does feel like maybe a new horizon um i mean it's it's too small of a sample you know two players from houston uh, on a team that's one in three isn't exactly culture shifting right now but if this works out for dr king whether he stays at houston or goes somewhere else um you know is this a bit of a slippery slope? Will we see more of this? Uh, you know, will, will we see teams maybe attempt to line up talent at certain positions? You know, if you know you have three or four really good skill position players who are maybe one or two years away from being where you want them to be on a, on a title contending program, do you hold a quarterback out for a year uh, when in the past maybe you wouldn't you to try to line them up?
2: Because the players have the the transfer portal too, you know? So like,
1: Right, that's why this is such a unique situation. It I is, think. you know, whether he leaves Houston or not, like a player willingly taking himself out. Um, and what I would, you would maybe know better than me. Like, do the coach and the player have to agree to this? Is it the player's decision fully to say, "I'm not playing the rest of the way"? Redshirt me, or does the coach have to agree to this process?
2: I'm, I'm fairly certain that the player, like, if they say, "like you can't," like, "I'm not playing," like, you can't put me in. I'm, I'm at the four games, and like the, the coach can't like force him in. To my knowledge, but Holgerson. It's interesting because like a couple weeks ago, there wasn't like a smoke signal that, that this sort of thing would happen, but it was the night before the Washington State game, and or a couple days beforehand, and and Holgerson was asked a question about I think it was Courtney Lark, who was a, a big time receiver on this team a year ago, and Holgerson's like. Uh, you know, we're playing the players that deserve to play. And everyone's like, you know, well, how does Courtney Lark not deserve to play? And then he also talked about, I think it was Mulba Carr, um, who was the running back that ran really well against Oklahoma. And going into week two, you figured like, oh, he's going to be a big part of this offense. And Holgerson's like, actually, we're going to, we're planning on redshirting him. So it seems like he's come in with this idea that he can manipulate this team in a way, or manipulate it in a way, maybe manipulate is not the right word, but like get things structured where he has uh the full like red shirt like four game windows at his disposal and is really trying to maximize those while also kind of playing for next year at the same time as far as like player empowerment goes again like i think the transfer portal is a bigger thing and i think i'm on the side of the players you know 99.9 of the time i am interested to see though like if if you're a coach aren't you scared of, like, if if you are one and three, like, we're going to see, like, this being, like, the witching week every year moving right. forward, potentially, where it's like, hey, coach, we're one and three, we suck. I'm actually out, uh, right. and you're not going to play me again, so I can just kind of redshirt this year, get my degree at the same time, and go to a different program. it's it's right. I really don't know where this goes.
1: Well, my question, too, is... Do you automatically get the red shirt if you don't play or is there a process you have to go through where both you and the coach sign off and say hey we're redshirting you because like you can be on the roster and if you don't play do you just end the year with a red shirt you you I think you have to like apply for it but then, right. I mean if you played four games or less and you qualify what I'm saying is like if you if you're throwing out the scenario like you are where players are implying that they're going to leave the program couldn't the coach just say like no we're not going to red-shirt you and you know they can't force them on the field but if there is a process uh you know by which this has to be approved you know, then we might see coaches and players kind of at odds, which maybe we we're already seeing at Houston. Uh, but it's just something I, I think an unintended an unintended consequence of mm-hmm. what, and otherwise was a a rule that came through in good spirit, I think, and was you know universally embraced really yeah, at the time. Was, and for the most part, I think sides. it's been right. For the most part, has been beneficial. Um, but when we start seeing it now with underclassmen too, you know, if you're a sophomore starting quarterback and you're one and three, you can just kind of hit the reset button on the PS2 and start the season over next year as a redshirt sophomore, you Mm -hmm. know. And, you know, in that case, if you wanted to transfer, you'd have to sit out the year and it becomes a little bit more of a process. So I I think it's a little more dangerous for guys who are grad transfers. Um, But, you know, in college football, unless you're one of these elite Jake Fromm type of guys, Tua Tagovailoa type of guys, you're not going to be starting until you're a junior. And a lot of these guys, you know, with the way the redshirts work, you know, you're a fourth year junior, it's, it's fairly easy uh, if you if you manage your course load to graduate so it, it does feel like this is maybe the first step towards whatever the closest thing we can get is to college football free agency yeah
2: it's, it seems to be that way if, if things continue on this trajectory and obviously we're gonna this could end up being like like you were saying if there's an at odds between the players and the coaches over the over a redshirt qualification yeah. there then things get left up to the ncaa and you never want that to happen so Ever. um so hopefully you know this can end copacetically with anything like crazy happening on on either side but you know a lot of the times it's not it's not going to be the Derek king that that gets redshirted like that that's why like it, i mean even last year there are a lot of teams that you know i mean kelly bryan is a great example after four games it's like hey we're like you're not going to be our future so yeah. uh we won't play you again and then brian opted to leave the team altogether, uh, and and uh, Dabo didn't give him a championship ring and, it, and people got talking about that but really? uh yeah it was a whole I don't know another thing, but um, we don't. I think that we've seen colleges try to try to get their players in, try to get them those four games of experience, and then they kind of come to a discussion point after those four games, or it's like, you know, are like you've played well enough to continue to have a role, but it, it might not be that much bigger. You know, what do you think for, for moving moving forward? So mm-hmm. those have been kind of like, you know, minor, more small role guys. We haven't seen it with a guy like King who, you know, right. from a fantasy aspect, the consensus number one player in, in fantasy football you know, coming into this year who'd been a bit of a disappointment, but it's still been really good, not a bust by any means. Yeah. Um, so with him out of the player pool, I, I know a lot of people are kind of sunk now, and that's unfortunate for their leagues too.
1: Yeah, it will be very interesting to see how this turns out. We might not, you know, really get concrete answers until after the season when you know when the transfer portal really opens up. Uh, but diving into some of these other week four games on Friday night, USC beat Utah at home. They lose Keaton Slovis, but Matt Fink steps in, 351 yards, three touchdowns. Big night for Michael Pittman Jr. over 200 yards receiving and a touchdown. I mean this. I'd still have no read on what USC is whatsoever, but somehow think they do. we left them for dead two or three weeks ago, and you know right now they're three and one. They have you know by far their best win of the year against Utah. They they beat what we thought at the time was a pretty good Stanford team, uh, and this is kind of the redux of that. You know they lost their their starting quarterback against Stanford, and it was Slovis who came in and led them, uh, and now you know we get even further down the chain with, yeah. with Matt Fink taken over so you kind of restart that process over again where if you're a usc fan are you now talking yourself into matt fink as being this capable leader for the rest of the year
2: yes and what's crazy is that I've, i'm pretty sure he explored the transfer portal uh over the summer as well once he kind of figured out where he was going to be on the on the pecking order there so it's just it's wild how things have have gone at usc to this point and you know i the, it's almost like they've failed and then like reemerged as a likable team yeah. all of a sudden like these like these scrappy young usc guys I don't know how they're doing it, but they're doing it. Yeah. Like that somehow they become the this underdog story. And it's never thought I would say it about USC, but I, I guess this Clay Helton tenure mm. can kind of lead them down that path. But I mean it seems like that The rest of the Pac-12 South is pretty weak, and they obviously beat the best team in it. So, I mean, moving forward, Arizona State's going to ugly up any single game that they play in. So that's going to be, you know, a challenge. Uh, But Arizona can lose any single game. Uh, The rest of that conference, or the rest of that division specifically, um, I think is Mm kind of up for grabs now. and, And now USC has the, you know, the big win in it so i think that they they have a path I, not that i don't think that they'll stumble at any point the rest of the way that certainly can mm-hmm. happen but uh, right now it feels like they could end up in uh in the Pac 12 championship which is crazy to say
1: the question is is that a good thing long term no right like this does feel like they could find themselves in a man clay helton won just enough games he did just enough with what's now kind of undermanned talent at certain key positions we really can't justify firing him, and I, I think this could result in you know, a situation where you you maybe end up reaching a long-term agreement with a coach who has caught some bad breaks and then at the right time has caught some lucky breaks. Um, I don't know. To me, Clay Helton has just never seemed like the right guy for USC, and it, it seems no. like they've kind of been shuffling through. I mean, they really have been shuffling through coaches since... Since Pete Carroll moved on, and the only one to me who really felt like the potential USC guy was Lane Kiffin. Weirdly mm-hmm. enough, like he kind of just fit the profile of what you expect from a USC coach. Obviously, that went south for a number of reasons, but it's just really hard for me. Even if USC, you know, goes seven and two the rest of the way and and they're vying for a you know a New Year's Six bowl, it just it, I can't imagine a scenario where in five years Clay Helton is the USC coach and we're we're looking back and saying like that's where it all began with Matt Fink. I think what
2: what you know hope USC fans could have about this is the fact that they're that the ad stepped out during the season so they're going to be bringing on a new one so like the the new ad can just be like well he wasn't my guy and there's the kind of funny moment friday night you know after fink is raising the sword and you know singing the fight song to the crowd and everything and i think uh helton gave urban meyer a handshake and there was almost like a keep it warm for me yeah. uh type of look for from urban meyer so i mean there's a, i feel like urban meyer definitely has the itch to get back into coaching and like yep. no matter how well this season goes for usc he's still going to be coaching at usc uh, uh urban meyer
1: will still get the job somehow what would be the more fun scenario urban meyer taking over at usc or taking over at michigan Oh, oh, Michigan, because it would just be like, how? Now, how like, be what
2: fun? is this guy? like? <laughs> just the total mercenary. Like, oh, I'm an Ohio boy, born and raised, and <laughs> you brought the Buckeyes back to prominence. Now I'm going to do the same at
1: Michigan? Oh, that would be... That would be, be the ultimate power move. But um, speaking of... Yeah, uh, well, kind of speaking of, I guess from the Wisconsin perspective, but I was extremely nervous for this game, as I am for any time Wisconsin plays a team that's like any better than South Florida, uh, but... <laughs> I mean, as soon as, I think it was Ben Mason fumbled mm-hmm. uh, on the, the first drive of the game for Michigan, they had just, um, on the first play of that drive, after after answering a Wisconsin touchdown, they got a huge passing play uh, from Ronnie Bell down the sideline. It looks like it's going to be a back-and-forth game. Next play, Harbaugh hands it to a defensive lineman who's never carried the ball before, coughs it up, and that really did feel like the turning point. I mean, shortly after, Wisconsin marched right down for another touchdown, and, and it was just kind of a landslide all the way up until halftime, and... I think anyone who watched this game live, which is most Michigan fans and most Wisconsin fans, if you if you read the reactions, um, knows how big of a, a beatdown this was. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, if, you ju- if you're if you just a casual fan or you're a fan of another game that was going on at the time and you were just checking in, I, I think the final score does not imply at all you know, how lopsided this was. 35-14, uh, Wisconsin really took its foot off the gas in the second half, had only one touchdown, didn't score at all in the fourth quarter really was barely able to, to string drives together. Jonathan Taylor was in and out of this game with cramps, uh, even in the first half when, when the game was still somewhat in the balance. He was really not out there at all in the second quarter. Right. Uh, Wisconsin lost both of its starting safeties, like five plays from Ooh, each other yeah, on, yeah. on targeting calls, both of which were probably the correct call. The second one definitely was. Ugh. Okay, The first hit I thought was worse. Um, you know, I think it was very clear helmet to helmet and as is the case with like 90% of targeting calls, I don't think it was intentional. I I think, you know, anyone who's played football at any level, like it's, it's just, it'd be really hard to say like, I'm going to go bash my head into that guy's head on purpose at full speed. Sure. Um, you know, I think the first one was against, was it against Patterson? Um,
2: I forget. I think that the second one, the agreed the really egregious one was or look egregious looking one was against McCaffrey. Right,
1: but I, th- I think the first one was Patterson was kind of in a half slide. Yeah, yeah. And, no, and no one was really sure. You know, like if one if if he should even be hit, and then two, you know, when you make helmet to helmet contact, it's just it's just going to be called. So like you know, everybody who I was watching with, I like, couldn't believe it. But you know, like knowing what we know about college football, they're always going to make that call. They're always going to kick the guy out. Um, but the. The McCaffrey one, like you said, looked much worse. He was kind of – he had already been hit and was kind of suspended in midair yeah. and then got hit again, which, again, I don't think it was a dirty play. I, th- I think it was more f- more so finishing the play, but it looked really, really bad. And, and McCaffrey thing. was kind of right away, you could tell, a little bit woozy. And and especially when you have that visual, it's almost always going to result in targeting. So both yep. of those safeties now I think are out for the first half against Northwestern on Saturday. Yes. Not sure it's really going to play you know a huge factor in a game against – a Northwestern team that's that's a little bit down this year, but um, I think a lot of the reaction after Wisconsin, Michigan was was focused, rightfully so, on. Yet another disappointing big game for Michigan. Yet another disappointing big game from Jim Harbaugh. Um, but but how much of this are you reading into as Wisconsin now being a legitimate top eight team, a fringe playoff contender, um, or is this just a win that in hindsight Michigan really didn't give us a whole lot of reason to believe in them going into this game, and then you know now even less uh, as we look back? You know, it it will
2: be interesting to see how Michigan responds the rest of the way here. I do, you know, point point A here. I do by Wisconsin being a, you know a playoff factor for the rest of the season. I think that coming in and you know not just drubbing the the first two teams like that like they were expected to, but I mean like you said, this game was over by the time that halftime rolled around. Like a, getting out to a twenty eight to nothing lead at, on somebody at home, especially a team that's so out of sorts on offense as Michigan seems to be right now. Uh, yeah, that was a wrap for, from early on. So it seems like uh, Wisconsin is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, moving forward. And meanwhile, the rest of the West kind of has not uh nearly as as formidable as maybe some idiots like myself were were projecting earlier with nebraska and minnesota just kind of looking mm-hmm. uh pretty pedestrian yeah, but minnesota's yet, undefeated they they sure are and somehow Tough schedule. somehow that they, they could continue to be that way um <laughs> or at least for another week uh, I, w-
1: I want them to be like 11 and 0 with like no wins against any team in the top 70 and they're still not ranked <laughs> that would be awesome um and and certainly uh could happen here but um
2: Yeah, I do buy Wisconsin uh, for the rest of this season, for sure. I think that the cone has looked way better than anyone could have have hoped. The defense looks great, as per usual. The line looks good. Jonathan Taylor, just still a stud. I mean, still just ran all over Michigan whenever he wanted to. Uh, And he was, again, like like we were talking about for the DFS part last weekend, like the key to the slate last weekend. So I had like two-thirds of my lineups with Taylor, and those were the ones that had the success because he was under 20% owned
1: he very easily could have approached 300 yards i think oh, yeah. i mean he was out of the game for both precautionary and competitive reasons in this for most of the second half and like i said you know missed almost the entire if not the entire second quarter with cramps i mean it easily could have been a much bigger day for taylor who you know returned value obviously yeah. getting over 200 <laughs> yards uh, for what it's worth looking back at the 2007 michigan team you know different times different coaches different everything but that was the appalachian state year um I, I think that's a more egregious loss than this of course you know yeah. on the road at camp randall but it does it does have a similar sky is falling you know the follow-up from this game the was like of the four end. straight days of just michigan anti-harbaugh content um right i mean I, I don't know if it's the beginning of the end but this this felt more impactful than even some of their other shortcomings in recent years so looking at 07 they lose that game then they go and get pummeled at home by dennis dixon The next week, 39 to 7, but then they reel off eight straight wins and and, you know they end up winning the Capital One Bowl over a then number nine ranked Florida. So they were able to salvage what was eventually a not a successful season based on a team that started you know fifth overall in the poll, but a respectable season given the start. I I could see this Michigan team doing that. You know, I almost think that's what they have to do to to kind of change public opinion. But with the position that they're in right now, I, I just think yeah, you know, what is the locker room like after that game? Um, you know, what are, what are, what are the boosters thinking after at this point? I mean, there had already been so many of these kind of miniature, uh, you know, pitfalls. I guess for for Jim Harbaugh and most of them had come against Ohio State, but this, I mean, this was just such a complete top-down failure in, in every single phase of the game that you do have to wonder, like you said, if this is maybe some sort of tipping point. You know, I, I think given the contract that Harbaugh has, it, it makes it a little more difficult um, than maybe other coaches who would who would be on a hotter seat given the circumstances. But I mean, we've, we've seen massive buyouts occur before. I, I'm just not exactly sure where this goes. Yeah, I mean, and, and also the, the fact that it was this tectonic of a failure with
2: two weeks to prepare is just wild oh, to right. me. Didn't even um, mention that. But when it comes to Harbaugh, I think at the very least, and I've been someone who has been uh, a pretty ardent supporter of Harbaugh since he got there in 2015, you know, took a pretty shiftless Michigan program under, under Brady Hoke, uh, the, the end of the Brady Hoke era, and turn Michigan into a competitive team right away in 2015, uh, a, a playoff contender in 2016 uh, until that, that tough spot against JT Barrett in, in the Ohio state game. I felt like that was kind of their chance, but you know, 2017, they had a down year. Then last year that they, they had another chance here uh, going up against Ohio state get, get absolutely boat race. And they go ahead and get boat raced by Florida. So I think that, you know, maybe, maybe the Ohio state just, Completely napalming them was was more of the tipping point than this yeah. one. But I think this this one definitely solidifies in my mind that Harbaugh is never going to get them over the mountaintop. I think that uh, there's been enough, or there's been more bad than good of late to the point where I'm like, if if he's Not just not winning, but struggling with with this roster. Mm -hmm. Then I don't know if he's ever going to have the horses to turn this around. Or even if he does have the horses, maybe the coaching chops aren't the same. And and Ohio State seems to continue to evolve. Ryan Day seems to have have things figured out better than Harbaugh does at this point. Um, You can't even guarantee right now that that Michigan's even the second best team in the East. Um, This is just this spells trouble. And again, I know that there's a lot of red tape to to get out from under Harbaugh and Harbaugh theoretically seems like the perfect Michigan man coach. And I, I felt like, yeah, that made sense for the first four year years of his tenure, but we're in year five now and it's yeah. it doesn't look any better than it did in 2015. And that's just, I think that's got to be really disconcerting. I don't know what the answer is next, but I know that yep. he ultimately isn't the answer.
1: Yeah. I think part of it too is, like you said, he was such a perfect fit that it was almost he was, you know, he was kind of anointed before he'd ever even coached a game as like, this is the guy. And, and for the most part, I mean, he followed through with recruiting, you know, they instantly up the talent level, you know, to, to the, to the point where, you know, where Michigan has historically been, but in terms of just pure coaching, you know, I mean, you look at, you compare the recruiting classes that, that Michigan has brought in now. I mean, this is like you said, four or five cycles. Like these are his guys. There's no, there's no more holdovers from the Brady Hoke era versus the type of players that Wisconsin's bringing in. I mean, it's a massive advantage in, in recruiting for Michigan and then to get you know absolutely blown out of the water like this, I, I think you can blame Shea Patterson, who's been a little bit of a disappointment. You can yep. blame the offensive line. I mean, they, they rush for 40 yards on 19 carries in this game. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, maybe, maybe Paul Chris is the one who deserves more credit uh, than anything else. I mean, to be at the, you know, in some ways, a disadvantage in terms of recruiting um, and to still perform like this against teams that are that are killing you in that area. Um, you know, really says a lot.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely does. I, I
1: think that it is
2: almost unfortunate that that becomes lost in the in the storyline wash because, you know, there's so much attention being paid to yeah. uh, pointing fingers at Harbaugh that, yeah, uh, Chris definitely isn't getting enough credit just yet. Yeah. But maybe that's kind of how he likes it. I, I think I that think he, so d- he doesn't really prefer the limelight. He just yep. likes to be on the local car commercials
1: telling you that local is good. And when it's good, it's good. That's an exact quote. Uh, we should we should try to post that. I'll see if I can find that car commercial and I'll post it in the the article with the podcast. I, I tried to I
2: tried to find it like at, at halftime on YouTube last week just to like get myself like even more jacked up
1: than I already was. I had a hard time finding it. I wish I was in the room when they filmed that. Yeah, you know, like was the producer just like, okay, right. that was great, Paul. Uh, good stuff, man. <laughs> like, could you show any less emotion? Um, nope. A lot of Wisconsin fans, as I alluded to before. Were, were upset that, it was, that the talk wasn't more about Wisconsin's great versus Michigan's bad. I don't care about that at all. I'm more than happy to read all about how terrible Michigan is and how much of a failure they are in their entire program. So, yeah, reporters, keep those articles coming. Don't, don't, don't give in. Absolutely. Elsewhere in the country on Saturday, Clemson, Bama, both rolled over, terrible opponents. Clemson beat Charlotte. Alabama beat Southern Mississippi. Neither of those games were remotely close. LSU – 66 points it's vanderbilt but that's still an sec game this offense knows no bounds joe burrow is i mean for better or for worse throwing his way into the heisman uh the heisman race certainly 66 points on the road against vanderbilt not to be outdone justin fields put up 76 points uh, against miami of ohio this was a game that was at one point uh seven to five and then it was 76 to five <laughs> so 69 unanswered points for the buckeyes to close that one out this is what we see from them every single year. I was, you know, watching the the Badger game with some buddies the other day, and you know, this game they they kept flashing too to show highlights. And like we were saying, Ohio State is that team that just never ever struggles with inferior opponents. Like it doesn't no. seem like they're ever t- like every other team has these dog fights every now and then. Um, you know, Alabama is probably in that category as well. But, you know, even like your Oklahoma struggle with Army, Michigan obviously is is in that category as well. But Ohio State always seems to just wipe the floor their first four games of the year.
2: Oh, yeah. They they don't st- like they they like get it rolling and they don't stop like they, yeah. they, they just have such an advantage at quarterback usually or quarterback running back. And then, you know, it, it all trickles down to the receivers and everything. And they just they yeah, they don't treat that game as as like a it's like a chill week. They treat it as like a let's get. Are working for half an hour at, at at max level, and then you know let the backups do do what they do. So yeah, they they just absolutely pedal the metal at all times, and I think Fields uh, certainly is just. I don't know if he's quite in the Heisman discussion just yet because of the you know how, how great Tua um, and Hurts and now Burrow have been, but I, I think that he's like in that next tier of candidates. And you know if, if he keeps Ohio State winning and he keeps and he wins the East, then he'll definitely uh, you know be in that Heisman consideration as well. It's it's insane.
1: Yeah, I, I think at some point. His numbers are just going to be so overwhelming that even if you say, well, a lot of this came against inferior opponents, you know, the the talent level on this roster is so high, it's just going to become difficult to ignore. I mean, I I think they're going to be comparable to Jalen Hurts, maybe at some point who, you know, we'll get to in a little bit, but he continues to roll. Um, Auburn goes on the road, beats Texas A&M 28-20. This is a game that I feel like kind of flew under the radar a little bit on Saturday, but... We've talked about both these teams having ridiculously tough schedules. Um, you know, not I wouldn't say this is a must-win for either, but it, it was kind of one of those games that that really kind of tips the scales because there's just no easy weeks for either of these teams going forward. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know what Auburn's ceiling is, but four zero with with this schedule that they faced early on, I mean, it's it's gone about as well as possible. Nobody's going to want to play Auburn no. the rest of the way. Like that, they
2: are hell to deal with up front. That that defensive line, including uh, Derek Brown, who was – a little bit dinged up going into that game and then I, I believe he was like defensive player of the week and the like just absolutely game wrecked uh the Aggies from the interior just such a force up there and then the the whole Malzahn calling plays like he's got Auburn running an offense that is exactly how he wants it to go and just getting like the you know the old cliche like speed and space like I don't know if you've seen Anthony Schwartz run yet but uh he runs like a ten flat hundred meter yard dash. Um I think he his is gonna be well into the low four twos. He's probably faster than Henry Ruggs. Um and they, they got him the ball on an end around and he just looked like he was going at a different speed than the rest of the A and M
1: defenders. It was hilarious to watch. So he's just, like the way faster the gun- than Henry Ruggs? Yes. So the, the way, way the way you said that implies that it's like a a slight towards me, like, hey, he's faster than Henry Ruggs. Is,
2: I, I mean, I, I think it's more of a slight against us almost, because like when we talk about Henry Ruggs, which right. is often, it's like, God, he's so freaking fast, yeah, and right. then like Schwartz is somehow faster <laughs> than that. So, yeah, Gu- Gus has this offense rolling right now, and, and Bo Nix is only going to get better with time. So this is this is a team that you know they get their their two hardest games uh, in terms of. Uh, Alabama and Georgia, they get both of them at home. I think that they're going to beat Georgia, and I think oh, that God. there's there's at least a chance that they beat Alabama so this as reverse well.
1: Jinx, garbage. Come on.
2: I mean, maybe there's a <laughs> there's a tinge of it, but I mean, they they smoked Georgia two years ago yeah. on the plains, and they smoked
1: Alabama that year as well. So I wouldn't be shocked um, if they if they go on yeah. a similar run here. They get a bit of a reprieve this Saturday. Uh, they host Mississippi State, which you know, very very winnable game for Auburn, especially relative to the rest of that schedule. Sure. Uh, the next seven games they face um they have mississippi samford and arkansas sprinkled in the other four are against the number nine team in the country florida the number four team in the country lsu the number three team in the country georgia and the number two team in the country alabama and then yeah, that's of just course if it gets to it Ugh. you know you have another ridiculous test in, in what would be the sec title game if they're somehow able to get there but um thus far i mean it's like i said it's gone about as well as possible uh given the schedule that's coming up and they kind of had to bankroll these wins early i think to build this momentum tennessee i mean for frick's sake (laughs) i don't even know what to say what is going on i mean not not that i expected them to, to win this game but just no showing of respectability against a a florida team that's on its second quarterback um i don't know i mean do you do you have any thoughts on tennessee are they just going to continue to spiral uh thanks for losing me money uh you know you You bet on them oh yeah like they
2: complete like it was like the smart money coming into the years like why is their win total so low they they bring back literally everybody and they recruited like a, a top 10 class uh and they you know all this all this positive momentum i don't know man like you it's all gone. I mean it was not that it was already gone after after the Georgia State game and it, it just continues to get worse. They they get Georgia at home in a couple weeks uh, and that's going to be a night game. I just hope that Georgia gets yeah. out of that unscathed.
1: I was going to ask you what what do you think the line is for that or for the Tennessee at Alabama game on October 19th? Um I think the I think going at Alabama you said.
2: Um I think that's going to be probably like 30 and a half. Oof brutal. I mean that I that's not that much worse than like what it was for southern miss. <laughs>
1: good god Uh, all right that's enough tennessee talk uh texas beat oklahoma state at home yeah great game um oklahoma state unranked but you kind of knew this was going to be a shootout uh one of the more fun games to watch oklahoma state is always just a joy to watch i love the uniforms they always have great skill guys that came into that game with the leading rusher and the leading receiver in the country and and certainly made it a respectable game Uh, 36 30 was the final there sam ellinger um you know lost a little bit of momentum i think as kind of a dark horse heisman guy with that loss to lsu but sure. he played well in that game four more touchdowns on saturday 281 yards 20 of 28 uh rushed for 70 yards as well so nice bounce back win uh for texas
2: yeah ellinger is gonna keep them competitive the rest of the way i, I don't think that they'll beat uh ou but they're you know he alone can can keep Texas in any game I think he's ascended to that, to that level where Texas isn't winning in spite of him they're winning because of him uh, he's just a, a really great college player I don't know what his pro prospects really look like but um, as for being a Texas quarterback, like he's he's the man and he's got them rolling. So I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to play them uh, the rest of the way. And he's also just a, like a bulldozer at, at the at the goal line. Like he's a not, boss and a half. He's, he's, he gets lower than low. It's I mean, ridiculous.
1: most most guys who are quarterbacks at Power Five schools were dominant high school players. But like he strikes me as one of those guys who would have just been an absolute bully from like 6th grade on up like just impossible to tackle just never getting
2: I mean like the the leg drive that he has right. is just preposterous so so yeah that's going to continue Oklahoma State I think was probably going to be their toughest test the rest of the way outside of OU so now that that's taken care of that they, they should be in good shape But I, I think Oklahoma State can has the talent and actually defensively, I think they were like close to the top 30 in terms of S and P coming into last Mm -hmm. weekend. So like, I think there's a chance that Oklahoma state ends the year at least ranked like that. They're,
1: they're definitely a respectable team. Mm -hmm. We saw central Florida fall to pit on the road. Darn shame. Mm. Darn, darn shame. Watch your language, please. Mm. Uh, Cal, Picks up another win on the road at Ole Miss. Kind of a strange out-of-conference matchup, but it's is Cal good out of nowhere? Is Javid best resurrected? Can you can you think of like two
2: like fan bases that would have like worse trash talk to each other than, yeah, like, than like Ole Miss and Cal. It's like d- it's like having like an alien species. Right. on... am
1: like it, <laughs> like Cal fans. Are like I cannot understand what you're saying.
2: <laughs> like, please <laughs> speak slower. <laughs> and, and then you know the Ole Miss fans asking you know what are these two syllable words that you're throwing yeah. out there. So I hope that this is a home and home and that the Oxford faith will <laughs> go up to Berkeley in a couple of years. That I mean I mean the Cal people definitely were fish out of the water in in Oxford, but that yeah. must have just that's going to be nuts. Just a
1: bunch of Ole Miss fans like walking around with like giant maps extended like yeah. looking around uh, yeah I, I saw that matchup and I was like how the hell did this ever happen like how did they did they accidentally schedule each other
2: yeah who I don't know who agreed to what there but uh yeah when it comes to Cal they're the only unbeaten Pac-12 team uh they're 4-0 um yeah. under Wilcox they've just made it a defense first program and they have like the talent uh somehow they, they've just kind of developed it I think they have this kid Ashton Davis that's supposed to be a, you know a, a top Two round draft pick in the secondary. They got some other pieces there, so their their defense is going to keep them in every game. I don't know if their offense over the course of twelve games will be able to keep them unscathed or or you know above nine wins or above ten wins. But I think that you know like winning the North is definitely like not out of the question for these Cal Bears. Now I think that they're pretty legit.
1: Speaking of the Pac twelve, we had ourselves a game in one of the late night slots. UCLA. Washington State. Um, I, I think we, had, another team we had left for dead. UCLA, uh, along with uh, Tennessee, among others. This was a. <sighs> I was, I was going to say, like, program shifting win. I, I can't go that far. But you know, Washington State came into this game ranked, undefeated, heavily favored, were up massively in this game. I mean, at halftime, it was 35 17, and, and the the margin grew. I think it was 42 17 at one point. It might have even gotten up to 49 17 at one yeah. point. I mean, this was just absurd Pac 12 after dark type of shenanigans. UCLA puts up 50 points in the second half, including 29 in the fourth quarter. Some of the worst tackling that you will ever see at any level of football. I'm going. And Pop Warner on up um, horrible turnovers by some of the Washington receivers late in this game to keep turning it over uh, to UCLA nine touchdowns in the Washington State's quarterback <laughs> I mean what no rushing touchdowns yet they still rush for 150 yards I mean this was just a game that we could just keep rattling off crazy stat after crazy stat um, but it's worth watching the full you know if you didn't watch this game watching the full highlight on YouTube it's like 15 minutes long but it is just touchdown 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 touchdown, touchdown fumble interception touchdown And yeah, I couldn't believe it. I I checked the score right around the time that I was kind of finishing up the Georgia game and, you know, saw it. Here here we go again with UCLA, came home at, you know, 1am or whatever it was and and saw that and I I didn't know what had happened. But once I saw the highlights, it kind of all made sense.
2: Yeah, we were, uh, you know, we were, we kept the night rolling after, after the Georgia game and we went to a different establishment and, you know, uh, not at this one. So, I mean, it was a bit of a downgrade, I suppose, but you know, we're just watching this game, and we're just like almost in disbelief of, of this run that UCLA is going on. Like I, I was just like laughing and grave dancing about about Chip Kelly just being completely overmatched yeah. by Mike Leach, who is the man. But I I loved I forget who exactly tweeted this, or maybe it was said on a different podcast. But I love how Mike Leach is so true to himself that like he literally cannot. Like not keep throwing it even when he's winning with you know he just needs to run the clock out like even when UCLA like starts the comeback and it's like hey maybe you know have a possession that that takes some time here nope I'm still gonna be running I'm still gonna be running four verts every single play so so Mike Leach with a gigantic lead is his own worst enemy somehow it's. It's the funniest thing, but I mean, what a, what an on-brand loss also for, for Washington state to just, um, you know, like last year they had had this incredible run and then it ends against Washington in the apple cup when they like couldn't throw it because it was just like blizzarding in Pullman. It's just like that, the sort of bizarre twists of fate that that only befall Washington state. Uh, I mean only they could blow that lead against UCLA. UCLA couldn't have pulled
1: that off against anybody else. I mean, Washington State had the lead with like two minutes and 30 seconds to go getting the ball back after UCLA gave it up on downs. And they immediately fumbled the ball. <sighs> UCLA scores a go ahead touchdown. Washington State immediately fumbles the ball again. It, it was just crazy. There was a punt return mixed in on this as well. It's like, I mean, at one point it went, the, the drive summary was. Touchdown, fumble, touchdown, 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 punt return, touchdown, <laughs> downs, fumble, touchdown, fumble, end of game.
2: God bless America. God, that that is the best Pac-12 after dark game of the of the year. It's it's, it's sad that it already happened in September, yeah. but you know you can never predict when when the best one is going to be. I certainly right. would have wouldn't have predicted that. I I, I would have figured it would have no. been more of the forty nine seventeen like and it just would have ended there type of thing.
1: I generally root for Washington State, just you know Mike Leach. I love the air raid stuff like that, but this it's good to get UCLA kind of back on the board I, f- I feel like they really needed
2: this one they really did they really badly. it was it was gonna start to get chip kelly's back uh, god is he somehow like i don't know man but
1: uh final thing from week he's four i wanted to ask or go ahead he's not not back anymore i suppose he's yeah we need like a meter or something he's no longer at like zero out of 100 backness he's at like 30 percent backness yeah yeah What's going on with LaVisca Chenault? Uh, One of my favorite players going into the year, checked all the boxes, super athletic, sweet dreads, Mm -hmm. visor, all that, Um, you know, was on pace and still maybe you know to be a first or second round pick potentially in the NFL draft got off to a little bit of a slow start Um, I think week two had a pretty big game and then uh, you know quiet last couple of weeks even as Colorado you know pulled off a big win against Nebraska what's going on with him why has he not been you know kind of the focal point of this offense through the air and and even on the ground that he was last year
2: Um, you know I think it starts with Colorado being a little bit less desperate as far as you know there are other options I I think that the late days of the Mike McIntyre era at Colorado, they just kind of figured, well, we got Chenault and we have nothing else. And and so with that, Chenault went from being like a, you know, a, a semi-highly used guy in, in 2017 to being the the entire offense last year. I don't know if anybody had a higher uh, target market share that, than he did, especially among like a power conference school. It, it just like it was so tilted towards chenault that it was gimmicky and it just wasn't going to work in the long term and of course mcintyre mcintyre gets fired they bring in mel tucker as the new coach i don't know who their new offensive coordinator is but he obviously has you know kind of planted the flag and being like you know we have guys like katie nixon and tony brown who are actually like relatively competent guys both those guys over 10 yards a target this year so you know, it's just like a, a reawakening of this offense and and a real realization that you don't only need one guy, uh, um, you you can't succeed with leaning on only one guy. So it's not really a knock on Chenault, and I think that maybe he is a little bit dinged up now after this past weekend's game, but it, it's it's better for Colorado. It's it's worse for like us, like the neutral fans, because we want to see Chenault. You know. Great, Getting these like 15 catch, 200 yard games. It just feels like those are probably gone by the wayside. And obviously, if you're a fantasy investor, that that stings extra hard. But it just feels like Colorado is probably better off as a whole with with Chenault having a more normal person role in this offense. And you hope that Chenault, you know, 8.7 yards per target thus far, whenever he does get healthy, you know, ratchet things back up over 10.
1: Let's take a look at the Saturday DFS slate. We'll look at the DraftKings main slate, and as always, we will start with the quarterback position. The number one price player, Um, is he on the entire board? Not on the entire board, but at the quarterback position, Jalen Hurts, 9,200 going up against Texas Tech. I think this game has an over-under of like 71.5, which is a lot of points. I would expect that to come close, if not go over. Uh, based on what we've seen both historically from Texas Tech and especially of late from Oklahoma. uh, Is Hertz worth the investment? Are you looking at maybe Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Ian Book? A lot of big names on this main slate.
2: Yes, a lot of big names to choose from. And, you know, luckily, as we'll get into, there's a little bit more value, especially at the quarterback position. Last week, you know, if you weren't going some combination of like Tua and burrow then you're kind of syncing your lineup for the most part during, during the early part of the day but but this week there, there's some more options to choose from um but with hurts being back on the board here after after oklahoma's bye week last week there's no way i'm, I'm not having like at least 75 percent exposure to to hurts like it i might make one maybe two lineups that don't have him, but i would not feel good about fading that it would, it would just have to be a matter of like the rest of my lineup looks so good, uh, and they're, the only way I can do it is by you know dropping down a price bracket um, away from Hertz. But he's just so dominant. Texas Tech is still kind of a work in progress. I believe they're coming off a buy in their own right, but they might not be able to offer a whole lot of resistance. And they might, and on offense, if Alan Bowman is injured, their quarterback, then. You know this this could get really really ugly in a hurry for Texas Tech, and I don't think that Oklahoma necessarily takes their foot off the gas. Um, maybe it hurts the chances at the at the over, but I
1: think Oklahoma, at the, at its own very least, is going to score like 50 points in this game. So you told me there's a quarterback on this board who is quote screaming value. He is.
2: Who is that? His name. is is jamie newman yeah uh, he is mm. the quarterback of the wake forest yep. demon deacons screaming like Demon Deacons, and he is he's the man like he's been extremely accurate he's been extremely efficient all year and he runs the ball a lot they don't have a ton of great talent at running back so like he kind of takes that on himself a little bit at his own or in his own right so 7800 I think the pairing that I'm just gonna go with in a lot of my lineups is gonna be Hertz and Newman. Uh, you know, obviously seventy eight hundred for newman, ninety two hundred for Hertz. It's a fair bit of coin, uh, or a fair bit amount of your salary cap, but the dual threat ability, along with like the really quality passing numbers that you're getting from both of them, and Wake Forest was super up tempo, like all like they ran like 85 plays a game last year. I think they're they're kind of in a similar range this year, and they're going to Boston College. If you remember, Boston College two weekends ago got shredded by Kansas, like can't like well, not Kansas know, I mean, that's, State. That's just good
1: good Kansas team.
2: Um, so Boston College, their defense stinks uh which is like the last thing that was kind of like keeping steve adazio hired at, mm-hmm. at, at bc you got to imagine so if that defense starts to go away and that toughness um then you got to imagine that that he's not maybe long for that job anymore unless they're just cool with six and six in the quick lane bowl every single year well, what you have to well remember might
1: be. you have to remember ron dane's son Javion dane is on the roster at bc he's okay. not carried the ball yet this year barely carried it last year but i think they're kind of grooming him um, so once you know once he gets up there i think adazio's job will be more than safe okay all
2: right that's that's so, a good call yeah. so in the long Wouldn't term worry about it keep an eye for that but yeah newman is just a like 7800 i can't believe that he's cheaper than uh i like ian book a ton He he's a great player um but virginia is just a much tougher matchup even though notre dame is going to be at home yeah. so like if i'm choosing between the two i'm going newman 100 percent of the time uh just to To put it that way. Uh, Charlie Brewer and Brock Purdy is another interesting interconference matchup here. We got Baylor and Iowa State. Uh, Purdy coming off a huge game last week. Brewer coming off the bye, but he's been pretty competent thus far. Purdy running the ball a little bit more than I think we were expecting coming into the year. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, no David Montgomery and they haven't really found that answer at running back. So it seems like the answer at least in the short term has been Purdy near the goal line and that's working really well for both Iowa State and Purdy's fantasy value so I don't think that Baylor has a great defense surprise surprise um so wait wait, what I know right um so I think that Purdy uh could eat uh this week at 7,500 I don't know how many lineups I'm gonna have of him but if you're looking in that in that price range and you don't like Jamie Newman um I would go Purdy probably even before I I went with Kellen Mond although Kevin (laughs) Kellen Mond at 7,400 against Arkansas is kind of tempting in its own right uh, what if you're looking, you know, more toward the bargain bin? Uh, I know you you like a pair of Anthony's. I do. So on the on the other side of that Wake Forest game, we have Anthony Brown. He he can get it done on. The- on the ground and through the air as well. He's 6,500. That's a really nice price break, especially if you want to make like a Jalen hurts lineup and still have like, you know, all like wide receiver one types. Um, I think that going after Brown and pairing him with hurts is definitely a good way of going about that wake forest. Again, they're super up tempo, So they're, they're running a lot of plays, but at the same time, like they they could run themselves into a, a bunch of three and outs. So Brown, uh, interesting guy, uh, obviously AJ Dillon's kind of the engine of that offense as as we've established but i still feel like overall, Brown at 6,500. Uh, he can definitely hit that hit that value. And then Anthony Russo, um, he looked pretty impressive against Maryland. I didn't see what the heck happened to him uh, this past weekend against Buffalo, but he did throw it 50 times. Um, and, and you figure uh, going up against Georgia Tech, it's not the same Georgia Tech that, that completely drains the clock out. Um, so there, there should be plenty of possession here uh, when it comes to Russo. Um, he's got 10 passing touchdowns already. Um, so that's Good. He's he's thrown at least uh, three in every single game uh, to this point. So I like I like you know his his passing upside here. I think that there's a receiver that we'll get into that that you could pair him with. Uh, I can't imagine that the ownership on him is going to be much more than like 10%. Um, so I think if you want to separate yourself from the field a little bit there, then, then Anthony Russo would be the, the way of going about it.
1: Who's your favorite player of the week at running back? Um,
2: let's see at, at running back. Uh, Darius Anderson um, of TCU uh, kind of fits that bill. I think that TCU's passing woes have kind of killed Jalen Rager's um, fantasy value this year. I think I, I did like a big rankings audit yesterday and Rager's down into like wide receiver 40 territory now. So, I mean, it's it's not his fault. You know, I feel like uh, Robin Williams in, uh, in Goodwill Hunting, it's not your fault, Jalen. But I mean, at the uh, same time, it's just, uh, it's not working out for that passing game. But it's really working out for the run game and it's really working out for Darius Anderson. I mean, he absolutely eviscerated Purdue a couple weeks back. Uh, I think he ran all right against SMU. Um he seems to be kind of established ahead of Sewo in that in that uh, backfield. So he's the number one guy and he's only 6500 and he's going against Kansas. So like all those factors like him being the number one guy in a run heavy offense at that price against Kansas, yeah. like that's just it's so hard to avoid.
1: Kansas just had some sanctions handed down too. I think the they were mostly basketball related, but they snuck in some football uh, or allegations, I should say, up not to, sanctions. So up you, to no I mean, good you never out know there. how that's going to affect them. Huh. Um, Travis Etienne, I want to talk about him. He's the fourth highest price back on the slate. It goes Jonathan Taylor, A.J. Dillon, Raheem Boyd at Arkansas, and then Travis Etienne. Huge game in week one against Georgia Tech. Um, I think a lot of people, myself included, may have jumped the gun a little bit and talking about him as maybe this dark horse Heisman guy. You know, would he take votes away from Trevor Lawrence? He had 12 carries for 205 yards in that game. Almost half of those came on one carry. Since then, 53 yards against A and M. You know, we kind of let that slide. Good defense. 76 on 14 carries against Syracuse. 61 on 11 carries against Charlotte. No catches last week, and only seven combined catches for for just over 80 yards in those previous two games. For most running backs, not bad, but for a guy who's so dynamic uh, like Travis Etienne, I think these last few weeks with just one total touchdown uh, have been really disappointing. And now for a guy who was priced at 9,500 in Week One, you can get him at 7,200 on DraftKings.
2: Yeah, this is the most human we've seen him, especially over a stretch. You know, there have been games where he's he's disappeared or whatever, but for him to be this mediocre, like under 20 points in three consecutive games, it does set up as a buying opportunity, I think, this week, you know, like I would bet on that talent, like I I know what I saw last year, I know what I saw in week one, I know what I saw from him as a freshman, like that that talent hasn't gone away necessarily, I I just also feel like um, outside that A&M game, uh, very tough defense though, uh, so you do have to give him that, but I don't feel like Clemson has really clicked fully yet and I think you can see that reflected in in the prices on on some of their other players we'll get into uh Higgins and Ross in a little bit here too but you look at ETN and you just got to figure like that the bounce back is coming UNC you know plays a respectable brand of defense and and uh you know I think they did lose against App State last week though in that in that expensive game that we were talking Uh, about but But uh, UNC stills still very solid overall. But I think sooner or later we're going to have to see this Clemson team click into gear. I don't think that this is going to be the Clemson team like the 2014 Florida State team that like they they were undefeated but in a very unimpressive way over the course of the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that that's going to happen under Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence. So it's only a matter of time. I know like saying it, they're due is like a, a the better's fallacy and everything. But when it's ETN man, like how long, how long can you realistically keep that down? Like it, it just, there's just right. no way. So I like Linjay J Dixon a little bit less than, I, than I normally do just because I think that this isn't going to be the type of blowout where ETN's out of the game by halftime and Dixon gets all the second half carries. But I think ETN at 7200 along with like the sort of uh you know lackluster play of late and the and that price being pretty expensive uh we're going to see his ownership probably dip under 25% this week so you can separate yourself from the pack a little mm-hmm. bit while using Travis ETN it seems like a good deal to me
1: Any interest in Jonathan
2: Taylor at 9000 Always always like I will I will never fully fade Jonathan Taylor like there's there's just mm-hmm. no way and he was I think he was nine thousand last week or eighty nine hundred going up against Michigan. And again, like I, like I said, like he was the key to my early day success last yep. week. Like he was he was awesome, and he was only eighteen percent owned. You're going to see him bump
1: back closer to like forty percent owned this week, but I think with good reason. Yeah. I, I always feel nervous when they have to go play in the weeds at Northwestern, but getting that game at home. I mean, in a down year for Northwestern, that I think is like ninety ninth in the country against the rush. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean you have you have the concern obviously with any elite player that maybe he's out of the game early, but um, that doesn't mean he can't get his 215 yards in like a, you know two and a half quarters. Yeah, he's the reason why he's out of the game right. early, basically. Any any other bargain bin guys uh, running back before we move to receiver?
2: Um, let's see here. Uh, Tristan Ebner of Baylor is kind of interesting at 4200. He doesn't get the the necessary like rushing volume, so I like him only in like GPP. Uh, type of situations, but I really only play in tournaments anyway. So, mm-hmm. uh, so he's definitely on my radar, uh, really explosive guy. Um, definitely the, the most explosive of those Baylor backs and he's good, uh, out of the backfield as a pass catcher, which obviously, uh, m- makes him worth extra consideration, um, on DraftKings. So 4,200, if you need like that, that cheap,
1: uh, running back or that cheap flex option, I think you could do a lot worse than Ebner. Let's look at the receiver position, the top two players on the board, both from Alabama, Jerry Judy at 8,100, Henry Ruggs at 7,600. Uh, are you looking beyond these Alabama guys at all, a little bit deeper into the player pool? I probably will. This could be the first
2: week where like, I just don't use an Alabama receiver in, in most of my lineups. Um, not that I hate this matchup by any means. I mean, they they are going up against Ole Miss, for, for crying out loud. Ole Miss probably not going to be able to stop a nosebleed. This weekend, not against Alabama in Tuscaloosa at at that, but I'm I'm a little bit tired of playing the whack a mole with with the Alabama receivers and which one I like on a given week. Uh, it's pretty much always been rugs. Rugs has always been the right answer thus far. Um, judy's very expensive and it seems like with just the sheer amount of talent um that's elsewhere in this receiving core they don't need to lean on him extremely hard so i mean he'll get his for sure but maybe he doesn't win you the week uh like someone who i think a little bit lower down sage surratt 7500 um really electric receiver uh for this wake forest receiving core uh big guy great body control. Um, seems to have a really good rapport with Jamie Newman. Um, he does have to compete w- with Scotty Washington, who's also uh, very good. He's sixty nine hundred. Uh, two like really really tall guys that can just go up and get it. They 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 almost look like they are playing basketball out there at the way they go go up and get the ball. Um, so basketball school. Really, yeah, really? yeah. I mean, yeah. Shout out uh, Chris Paul. Um, but. I, yeah, I just really like the the game setup uh, for uh, Wake Forest where they are going to be running a ton of plays and throwing a ton, and in, in that target tree seems to go pretty narrowly towards Surratt in Washington they don't really bother with the, with the slot as much as they have uh maybe in recent years but you know when they had Greg Dorch or whatever but it seems like now that they're more focused on like outside and vertical passing game and they don't have much of a run game to speak of outside of Newman so love uh both the wake receivers this week but I, I think I'll be riding with Surratt in pretty much all of my lineups especially ones where I'm going expensive at receiver
1: you have CD Lamb 7,000. Didn't have a huge game against UCLA. Just one catch, 39 yards in that game. Uh, Did have a rushing touchdown from one yard out. um, But for the most part, you know, has been a little bit quiet outside of week two when he has six catches for 144 yards and a a touchdown, just three catches in the other two games against Houston and UCLA. I mean, he's a home run hitter, a guy who, you know, especially in a game uh, against a defense like Texas Tech, you could very easily see having four catches for like 140 yards uh any interest at him or in him I should say at 7k or Jaden Hazelwood at under 5,000
2: yeah I think I think so because you know they this offense is going to put up a lot of points and you know especially if you're going with Jalen Hurts you know you might as well get one of his receivers as well so uh, they have been spreading the ball around a lot and I think that that will keep some of the ownership percentage down a little bit on these guys Charleston Rambo included but Gosh, the efficiency is just like nothing I've seen before where, where Rambo and, and Lamb are both averaging over 20 yards a target, not just a catch per target. Um, so that's just not fair, really. Um, and like you said, Lamb doesn't need to do a ton of... of targets to do a ton of damage so I, I really do um, like this like this setup for Lamb and at 7,000 I, I think that 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 might scare some people away that that you know with this being a PPR format that they, they might think eh, you know I'll, I'll go somewhere else somewhere mm-hmm. where I know that they're getting 10 targets but Lamb I mean they're, they're going to regret it when they see Lamb you know like running away from this defense for a second touchdown of the day and it's
1: only halfway through the second quarter there's never been a cooler duo in terms of names Charleston Rambo and C.D. Lamb lamb it's spelled like that you know spelled c-e-e-d-e-e i I've just i've never seen anything like this i'm I'm continually so dumbfounded by it week after week this beats the hollywood brown then hollywood brown and cd lamb combo i mean oh is just oh just crushing rambo?
2: yeah that's just incredible
1: like either of those names separately his name could be like john rambo <laughs>
0: okay,
1: i haven't seen the movie but i know that's his name uh dave rambo would say and that would be yeah, you know, that would be a, an incredible name, or like Charleston Smith would still be an incredible name. Yeah, if like you combine just... those two together.
2: Yeah, so a lot to like in the in that pairing, and then Hazelwood, forty eight hundred, um, best receiver in this in this past recruiting class, uh, flipped to Oklahoma, and. I think he probably made the right decision in terms of like getting usage right away in a high flying offense. He's like almost 20 yards a target in his own right. Um, so just 4800. He's not someone that I'm like locking into a bunch of my lineups, but like if I if I have like 5000 or 5100 uh, to play around with and I don't mind leaving that on the board, Hazelwood, that type of upside mm-hmm. in, in a uh, in a tournament type setting is is something that I would approach.
1: Where do you lean with the two Clemson guys, Justin Ross, T. Higgins, two, two other guys like ETN you're kind of getting a discount on, especially relative to their early prices. Uh, Higgins has been good, um, you know, maybe not quite as as dominant as we expected, only one 100-plus yard game thus far, but he almost got there week one against Georgia Tech. Meanwhile, Justin Ross did not play last week, but he will be back out there, um, you know, really doesn't expect to be hampered at this point. Do you have a favorite between those two?
2: It it is really tough to to choose between the two of them because you know it's borne out over the course of the year that when it's like closer, uh, Ross seems to be Lawrence's number one guy. Like in in week two, Ross saw sixteen targets against Texas A and M in you know what was it what well, was a tightly contested ball game t higgins and in that same one only got four um i do probably think that that higgins might be the better play this week i just don't know if if clemson especially if they're in control of this game is going to risk even though they are saying that ross is going to be good to go and everything you got to figure he's not like 100 100 percent. so like you know why pepper him with, with 10 11 targets and, and expose him to hits when like you can give it to t higgins when you can give it to joe nada and frank ladson and make that work that way so higgins 16 yards a target this year he's been really really efficient with the looks that he's gotten catching 16 of the 23 uh targets through four games there so uh higgins probably a little bit more reliable but we obviously know what what the upside with justin ross looks like so i can't blame you i'll probably be getting shares of both just in different lineups Mm
1: -hmm. All right, give me guys priced around, I don't know, somewhere between 4500 and 5500 at the receiver position that you like.
2: Uh, let's see. So uh, down down this way a little bit. I mean, what do you what do you feel like about uh, Jake Ferguson of Wisconsin?
1: I've, after many years, have been very hesitant to trust the Wisconsin passing game, but this does feel a little different. Jack Cohn feels like a real quarterback. This is, I've said over and over, I think this is the deepest their receiving core, including the tight end position. Um, You know, they've had better individual tight ends than Jake Ferguson, but having four very capable receivers, Quintez Cephas was great last week, plus Jake Ferguson, Um, you know, I'd I don't know I just can never trust Wisconsin I I can't in good faith say yes put these men in your lineup
2: (laughs) yeah it's a little tough but I mean he's out there at least Uh, at 5,000 or 5,100 I'm sorry McLean Maddox of uh, TCU is is interesting because uh, he seems to get a lot of volume uh, in that in that specific offense so you know that's something to keep an eye on the the Texas Tech offense uh, to be clear um RJ Turner also kind of fits that bill. Um if you're if you're Texas Tech. Elsewhere, I mean Jaden Blue of Temple, again, if if you're kind of buying into what I was saying about uh, Anthony Russo, then he's someone that, that you would want to go after. He's close to ten yards a target. Again, if they're putting the ball up in the air, Georgia Tech's a good team to be doing that against. Um so I think that he makes a lot of sense. He's kind of a, a big play guy. Um, for the Owl, Owls, and then I mean, when it comes to Tariq Milton, the rest of this Iowa State team, I, I don't think that the Baylor, um, off, or Baylor defense is going to offer a ton of resistance. So like, uh, he seems to be having more success. He had like 100 yards against Iowa, which is you know not easy to do. Uh, Deshante Jones will always kind of have some appeal. Um, just because of like the sheer amount of target volume that he gets, but um, I think that that's been kind of smoothed out. Like he was he was overused in the first week when he got 16 targets. L- lately, he's gotten six and three. Whereas Tariq Milton uh, nine and four over the last two weeks, and Lamichael Patway also doing really well in his own right, uh, over 10 yards of targets. So uh, getting like kind of like cheap pieces of the Iowa State um, receiving core, I think it would be a decent way of kind of like rounding out uh, your pass catchers for this week.
1: All right. As always, be sure to read John's DFS articles on the site. We have a ton of stuff up there. There's a Week Five primer featured prominently on the college football page. Um, you know, you do waiver wire stuff each week. Start, sit, all kinds of all kinds of content there. So make sure to check that out. A few other items before we head out. Pat Fitzgerald, what is happening to this guy? I used to. I actually used to really like Pat Fitzgerald. Seemed like a cool coach. He now seems to be like trying to be like a fake old guy yeah right like he's like not that old touch yeah right it's like like mac closer. brown is
2: way cooler than he is right, right like now. he's
1: gonna like i feel like next week he's gonna come out and say he's like never used a cell phone um that that uh by email address is hashtag i don't care was like the most pre-rehearsed line i've ever heard even the way he said it i'm gonna i'm gonna email it at at hashtag i don't care this week when yeah, when northwestern's losing yeah he's not gonna receive any of his mail so dumb move by him yeah um, I thought that was Northwestern really Northwestern of him. I thought that was just super lame. I needed to say that, especially in light of Northwestern being here in three days. Uh, updated Heisman odds. The favorite, Tua Tagovailoa, not surprisingly, plus 275. Joe Burrow, plus 325. Jalen Hurts, plus 350. Justin Fields, up to plus 1,000. Trevor Lawrence falls all the way down to plus 1,500. Then you have Fromm, Jonathan Taylor, Sam Ellinger, DeAndre Swift. Uh, I think the biggest story from this is you know, Trevor Lawrence falling. I think for a lot of people, he would have been the odds on favorite. It was kind of seemed like a two horse race between he and Tua Tua's has held up his end of the bargain. Lawrence, you know, Clemson's obviously been good, but, but he hasn't played quite up to the standard that we expected. Is there anyone on this, on this list of, you know, top eight or 10 guys who you like as kind of a value bet? Um, I, I think Fields and, and Hertz kind of kind of fit
2: the bill. I mean, uh, Hertz is the less obvious value because you know he he is the third best odds here at, at, at plus plus three fifty. is not bad though. That's true. So so there is that element to it. Fields, if they keep it rolling, maybe if if Tua falls off a little bit, um, there towards 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 the end of the season, I don't necessarily buy that. Um, But, you know, I think that there are crazier things that could happen than Fields winning the Heisman. So I think plus plus a 1,000 is kind of an interesting one. Uh, Yeah, And when it comes to Lawrence, yeah, it just feels like the way that Burrow, Tua, Hertz, and Fields are going, it's going to be really, like, borderline impossible for him to catch up
1: at this point. Like, he's probably going to end up with, like, 30 touchdowns, which is awesome, but... Like, right now, would you bank on him being in New York for the ceremony? No. No, I don't think so, right? And it's not just that... To has outpaced him it's that like you said these other guys have clearly outplayed him they they really have so
2: you know whatever it is like this i don't know if it's a championship hangover or what it is i mean clemson's still like we're we're calling it that even though they've looked pretty dominant in all their wins save for the a&m game which is a good gonna be a good game no matter what um so yeah just it just feels like they haven't hit their stride just yet, and, and mm-hmm. you know, with a month into the season, where where you know you talk about like banking those touchdowns uh, in a Heisman candidacy, uh, he hasn't been able to do that the way that those yep. other four have. So yeah, I would bet against Lawrence the rest of the way. I, w- I wouldn't touch him even at even at that plus fifteen hundred. I'd probably go. I'd be much more inclined to go after Hertz at plus a thousand.
1: Yeah, Hertz is plus 350, but Fields, oh, yeah, sorry, Fields at, at 10 to 1, I think, is is great odds. I, I don't necessarily think he'll win it, but for that number, I think there, it's it's worth throwing some money down on. I'd like to say Taylor at 1,600, but there's a reason that even after rushing for 200 yards in a huge nationally televised victory against Michigan, his odds are still what they are. Um, you know, it would be one thing if, you, if it was just, you know, like a Tua versus Taylor type of thing, but quarterbacks always have the advantage when it comes to this award for the most part and not only does he have to beat out Tua he has to beat out Joe Burrow he has to beat out Jalen Hurts Justin Fields even Lawrence From, um, you know you could you, you could make some of these bets and say you know right now if things keep going as they go Tua is going to win the Heisman we thought that even more overwhelmingly this time last year it didn't work out maybe that's your reason to, to go with a long shot but the chances of Tua falling off and those other five guys all falling off, which would enable Jonathan Taylor, who can really only do so much to to help his own case. You know, he could rush for 200 yards every game the rest of the way, but if Oklahoma runs the table and Jalen Hurts is averaging, like, five and a half touchdowns a game, at the end of the day, there's just not that much he yeah, can do.
2: that's just impossible to keep up with it. Right. Like, you know, if, if Hurts ends up the year with, like, 3500 passing yards and a thousand rushing yards right. and 50 total touchdowns like how do you how do you not get right that it's like jonathan
1: taylor might have two thousand rushing yards but he will have zero passing yards and zero passing touchdowns <laughs> these are just facts um okay looking ahead to week five real quickly a- another fairly underwhelming week um you yeah. we get penn state maryland on friday night i know you'll be you'll be tuned into that one in terms of ranked versus ranked games just virginia notre dame and usc washington Arguably the biggest game, uh, at least if you believe it, or if you judge these things by where game day ends up, is in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, For the first time, actually, since 2007, we have Ohio State at Nebraska. Last time, game day was in Lincoln. Uh, Marlon Lucky, Roy Halu, and Maurice Purify were running the show. I used to smoke... It was like a later uh,
2: version of NCAA football, but Roy Halu, I would (laughs) run people over with with that guy. I I would dominate a lot of matchups with either him or... um, DeMarco Murray those are those are my two like kind
1: of like yep. offenses to go after and just run that power eye and just absolutely bash people. Roy Hallou is also in the Sam Ellinger zone of guys you know were just absolute terrors in seventh grade football like you <laughs> oh know God, he was like yeah. probably got close to that size for his entire life and was just just the way he <laughs> yeah. ran you could just tell. Um, I will actually be in the house for Northwestern at Wisconsin which promises to just Electric. be an absolute slugfest. This is the throwback uniform game oh, for that's both right. teams so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but other than that, shouldn't shouldn't really be a whole lot else going on there.
2: Is Wisconsin wearing like the Notre Dame pants?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to look similar to the pants that the Packers wore this past weekend. You know, they're they're supposed to mimic like the burlap pants that that people wore in the 30s. So they just they end up really looking, like, they just just have the boys wearing burlap again. I, I would honestly be fine with that uh, <laughs> over over what these are going to look like. But I, I like the tops. Um, I think if they just wore them with white pants, red pants, even perhaps even black pants mm-hmm. yeah, they would look are, great those are sharp um, Do, are but, they
2: having the like the old w that like the non one that we always see nowadays Is sort of like a, yeah
1: not the motion w it's uh just kind of like more blocky i yeah, guess i um, like that i saw yeah, that on like,
2: some apparel last week and i was like oh, that's pretty sharp. yeah
1: yeah wisconsin football has changed up their whole twitter profile and everything to match so um yeah gone is the motion w at least for a week and yeah you know, we're going to be confusing Jonathan Taylor with Red Grange i guess for for the for the rest of the weekend god bless it